Next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. And now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and happy to be with you today. With a nation divided by partisan politics, we are united by our constitution and inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, guaranteed to us by the Declaration of Independence. With that in mind, it's hard to fathom why our government denies our liberty to choose a holistic remedy that offers a healthier life and happiness for so many. After all, cannabis is as much a part of the American heritage as the Declaration of Independence, which, by the way, was drafted on hemp paper by our founding fathers who just happened to be cannabis farmers. George Washington enjoyed his daily dose of cannabis tea to relax. Thomas Jefferson enjoyed his hemp crop profits and encouraged everyone to plant it everywhere. Benjamin Franklin discovered electricity by flying a kite with a string made of, you guessed it, hemp. Most historians would agree that prohibition was predicated on a lie fueled by racial bias. Last week, we touched on President Nixon, whose intent to diminish the power of left-leaning minority voters was the impetus for signing the Controlled Substances Act by his own admission. Since then, millions of lives have been destroyed at a cost of $3.6 billion, billion with a B, a year, waging war on a harmless plant. Despite objections by scientists, scholars, patients, doctors, and even the American Medical Association, all efforts to reschedule marijuana have been denied by the DEA. Strangely, the issue has been straddling partisan lines with advocates on the left and opponents on the right. Despite evidence that marijuana is a legitimate medicine, the DEA refused the last petitions to reschedule marijuana and even gave CBD its own Schedule One identity right alongside heroin and LSD. Adding insult to injury, the U.S. Attorney General is asking Congress for DEA authority to re-escalate the war on marijuana, target patients, and target them for prosecution, undermining state regulations. Sessions isn't the only political figure who's trying desperately to turn back the clock. In the state of Arizona, a notoriously red state where voters champion individual liberty, Governor Doug Ducey recently vetoed the industrial hemp bill which passed the state legislature with overwhelming bipartisan support. Why remains a mystery, although it's easy to suspect that special interests with deep pockets may have influenced that decision. An Arizona pharmaceutical company that dumped a half a million dollars into the anti-marijuana campaign last year has received approval from the FDA to manufacture a synthetic CBD. Coincidentally, the same company makes fentanyl the drug that has killed millions of people whose lives could have been saved by medical marijuana. That said, advocates have reason to feel optimistic. A sleeper bill known as the Carers Act is re-emerging in the U.S. Senate, and ironically, the measure has bipartisan support and promises to become a uniting force in Congress. In Arizona, a new political action committee known as AMAPAC is actively lobbying to protect and expand 
the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act on behalf of hundreds of thousands of patients that need cannabis to stay healthy. That's the topic of today's show, and I'm excited to introduce our guest. But first, Dr. Brian Donner has our Medical Marijuana Minute. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner? Thank you, Snowden. Anthropological data has shown evidence that cannabis has been used for medical and cultural purposes since 4,000 years B.C. From that point onward, marijuana had been a widely accepted medicine without incident until prohibition began. In fact, in the United States, marijuana remained this way until 1971, when the Controlled Substances Act made it illegal. When states began adopting new medical marijuana policy, it came as good news for patients especially those struggling with ongoing treatment difficulties and inadequacies for issues such as neurological and autoimmune conditions, chronic pain, and cancer, to name a few. It was also good news to doctors, researchers, and the medical community who were just beginning to understand the science and importance of cannabis to human health. But even in legal states, patients weren't entirely immune from federal prosecution until 2015, when the Obama administration restricted the DEA's authority to go after patients and healthcare providers in states that allow medical marijuana. Since then, medical marijuana has helped thousands of patients cope with debilitating illnesses, injury, and emotional issues. Regulation has also proven beneficial on economic and social levels. So it came as a surprise that the Attorney General would ask congressional leaders to authorize the DEA to target patients in regulation states on the basis that marijuana is a dangerous drug that belongs on the Schedule One list, alongside drugs like LSD and meth, which have no known medical use and a high potential for abuse. We have plenty of scientific evidence confirming that marijuana is a safe and effective medicine that has a low potential for abuse. In 2016, the National Academies of Sciences reviewed findings of current clinical and peer-reviewed studies and released a comprehensive report confirming that marijuana has legitimate medical applications. Despite the evidence and strong recommendations of the American Medical Association, the Institute of Medicine, and other esteemed medical science entities, the DEA has denied all petitions to remove marijuana from the Schedule I controlled substances list. As a physician, I believe it is in the best interest of everyone involved to make medical cannabis available to any patient who needs it for medical purposes. With legislation to protect patients and state medical marijuana laws pending in the Senate, I sincerely hope that our congressional leaders act on truth and deny Mr. Sessions' request. I'm Dr. Brian Donner for the Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week for another edition of the Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden. Thank you so much, Dr. Donner. Let's get started. I am happy to introduce our guest. Taylor Swick is a lobbyist and the treasurer of AMAPAC here in Arizona. He is at the forefront of cannabis measures pending in the Arizona State Legislature. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to kind of dig into what's going on in Arizona because this has been uh, a bit crazy to say the least, starting with the hemp bill that was just rejected by the governor. Well, thank you for having me, and it's great to be able to be here talking about the issues down at our legislature. Uh, it is a, an interesting day every day down at the legislature when dealing with <laughs> no uh, cannabis-related issues, including hemp and the variety of different opinions uh, on the subject. So, Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about what AMAPAC is doing right now. Um, I, I know that you've been lobbying on behalf of uh, expanding some of the medical conditions that are acceptable uh, by the state for the program, for the medical marijuana program. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, we started our mission before the last legislative session. Uh, we've, so we've been around for approximately a year doing the work to uh, begin having a day-to-day, everyday legislative presence for the cannabis industry in Arizona at Arizona's legislature. Uh, prior to that, it was really that the industry had a presence from lobbyists every once in a while. Somebody would be hired on to do one issue or another, but no, no full-time lobbyist on a day-to-day -day basis. 
That's where we came in. I've been down there every day fighting to try and expand the, the program and work on behalf of all of the patients in Arizona who use cannabis as a medicine to make sure that they are able to get safe products uh, and that more people are able to hopefully in the future obtain cannabis as a medicine for various ailments that aren't currently listed as qualifying conditions in Arizona. Yeah, there, I know that just a couple of weeks ago, or last week actually, um, you had some success presenting to the legislative body uh, autism as another added condition, which strangely it should have been in the beginning, it should have been on there because so many uh, parents with uh, children who have autism are finding huge success with cannabis. But tell me a little bit about what happened there. Uh, so cannabis is currently not listed as a qualifying condition, as you just said. Uh, the or autism. I mean, sorry, uh, yeah. sorry. Uh, autism isn't listed as a uh, use uh, for cannabis to, to be a, a treating substance. Um, one, of the, one of the many things that isn't included currently. Um, as I'm sure your listeners know, the AMA, the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act, was put into place by the voters at the ballot. So when it was put into place, there were a kind of, there are some holes that exist now. It's not a perfect program. It's great to have. It's, it's amazing that the things that are in place to protect people and to provide medicine are there, but not every qualifying condition that cannabis can treat is listed autism being one, uh, sleep apnea, depression, PTSD without, one. without qualifiers. Uh, those things are not fully allowed or allowed at all for legal cannabis use in Arizona. And so, yes, uh, what we have been looking at doing for the 2018 legislative session is to do a cannabis, uh, sorry, an AMA expansion to allow cannabis to be used for more qualifying conditions. Another thing that uh, I'm working with legislators on right now in the off session to expand the program is to go and take the current card costs that everybody has to pay and decrease card costs from the $150 that are mandated by the state which you then have to pay more money on top of for your doctor visit and your uh, certification um, through through other you know through your doctors. Um, the the state fee itself is up at the ceiling. It's the highest that the state is ever going to be allowed to charge. DHS, the Department of Health Services, has when meeting with them told us exactly that. From the beginning, uh, they, they lifted it to the ceiling because they knew that they were never going to get any more money unless they went back and changed the program. Uh, so we can reduce that card cost simply by either going to the ballot or finding a legislator to run a, an expansion program who can get that program through the legislature. Um, we can reduce the card cost simply you know, by putting a number in for each year, maybe an escalation over time to account for uh, inflation, but really the $150 that DHS put on card costs at the very beginning was far too high for a lot of people. Well, that plus the $150 it costs to go to a certifying clinic, plus right. the amount of money it costs people to go to the doctor to have a recommendation for pain of some mm -hmm. sort or for whatever qualifying condition, but um, it's my understanding, too, that even though um, low-income uh, people who qualify for Medicaid and the state uh, equivalent um, can get a, a reduced price for that, is that correct? But that's only through the state. Right. There, there are very limited circumstances where the $150 state uh, licensure fee isn't required. Um, and there are a lot of people who really just can't afford that. Right. Um, and well, especially for children, yeah, people, absolutely. you know, parents with children and the parent has to have a card as well mm -hmm. as a caregiver. Uh, they do. And as you probably know, if a child is going to 
try and figure out how to reduce their pain or their muscle twitches or whatever ails them, that child and that parent have probably gone through every single possible form of Western, Eastern, whatever type of medicine they possibly could. And most of the time, cannabis is one of their last choices because most doctors who are seeing these children won't tell them to go and find cannabis as right. an option. So these families have already spent much of their savings, much of their you know, time and livelihood caring for these children and uh, having a no reduced fee for children going through these, these issues like autism is, is simply just too much of an issue for a, a lot of families. It's a huge burden. Yeah. It's a huge burden. It is. And the fee, as I understand it, was, um, was enacted so that to give money to the state basically to operate the program Correct. for administrative costs and all that. But what's happened with the fee is that it's actually um, part of it has gone into fighting the legislation, hasn't it? Well, the reality of the fund that has been created by the card costs and you've said, uh, you know, having um, dispensary agent licenses, having caregiver licenses, things like that, all of those things cost money for people. And that all all of those things state. go into that state fund at DHS. Right. And uh, the state fund is really just not being used that quickly. It's piling up and piling up at an ever more, uh, you know, quick rate, and it's really, for, for administration of the program, not being used by DHS that quickly. I, I can't really fully say that it's being used to fight things, but it's really not being used in as quick or as useful as a manner as I think it should. Yeah, and there's a surplus. It, there absolutely is a huge surplus, and uh, DHS has made statements that they are doing the things that are required under the act to maintain it. They're sending out uh, people to go and do checks on dispensaries. That's required under the act. That's an absolute ne necessity. Mm -hmm. and, and that's great because we do need to have compliance. Uh, but it doesn't cost that much to do compliance checks, and they know that at DHS. They did uh, m recently, I do believe, uh, by a new computer system to allow for cards that are being, card forms that are applications that are being uh, sent into DHS to have those turned around more quickly so that p patients can get their cards more quickly. That's a good thing. But again, it's not using all of the funds that are there and it's not uh, doing anything to expand the program. That's for certain. Mm -hmm. so. how, how much do you think that special interests are actually influencing the Arizona legislature. Well, like with anything, special interests do have a lot of say at the legislature in Arizona, in any state, at the national level. Uh, there are very powerful lobbying efforts out there with a lot of money behind them. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say that the cannabis community in Arizona is one of them, but we just don't have the money that, say, large pharmaceutical companies and interests do to try and combat what we're doing to try and expand and improve the industry. Right. And, I mean, the, the simple fact is that if you are making a product like any or, uh, opioid, and there's cannabis out there that can be used instead to reduce people's pain or their issues that they're having. Or help curb addiction to those substances. <laughs> Absolutely, or to get people off opioids. Um, they're going to fight tooth and nail against it because their interests are continuing to produce their product, their opioids, their what, whatever chemical or, or drug that they're making. And... Uh, they will continue to do that until we have expanded it to our liking. Um, they will continue to do it as long as I'm down there fighting for the industry. And uh, at the same time, though, a lot of these companies that make up the large pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical lobby uh, are also at the same time buying into the cannabis field. Right. Because they know that it's coming. They know yeah. that the uh, quote-unquote, you know, 
green wave or or whatever it is is coming and that they need to be involved because if they're not putting money into it, they're going to be left behind. Right. So, yeah. So it's both sides. They're I'm, putting money in against us and uh, putting money in to buy a uh, stake in the industry. Yeah, nothing like playing two sides against the middle, right? Right. <laughs> when you've got enough money, you can do whatever you want, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, there were some surprising opponents um, mm -hmm. in the election, especially. Like, you consider um, Discount Tire, for example. I mean, a million dollars to fight. And it, it's just such a curious thing. I mean, what was in it for them? <laughs> you know? I, I think, and I don't have great uh, knowledge about why Discount Tire and the uh, leadership team there chose to put that money in. I do know that the owner and president of Discount Tire personally is friends with Governor Ducey and has said multiple times that he wants to fight cannabis in Arizona. So I think it's really just personal ill will against cannabis. Yeah, and it, but with all we know and all of the miracles that are unfolding daily with you know, new scientific studies coming out of Europe and Israel and Canada, and so many children benefiting from this drug, you would think that they would want to support the will of the people, the majority of whom advocate for at least medical marijuana. Uh, one would think, but the simple fact is that there are people out there who just don't like it, who will continue to not like it, until maybe a friend or a family member has to start using cannabis and is, is successful in doing that. It's, it's really a sad situation that it requires something so close to somebody like that to change their mind about the usefulness, the miracles that cannabis is able to do for people. Um, but we've seen it with legislators from other states who were staunch opponents until a family member or somebody they knew had to start using cannabis, and then all of a sudden they switched and were one of the best friends of the cannabis industry. Yeah, I mean, I hear stories a lot of um, some of the most unlikely advocates coming out of the U.S. Congress as well. You know, the, the um, Carers Act, for example, is, is um, it has overwhelming bipartisan support. And, you know, several of the members of the committees who reviewed this came out of the closet, the cannabis closet, <laughs> and said, you know, hey, I used it because of this, mm -hmm. or, you know, my child needs it because of that. It, it does create a lot of unlikely and strange allies out there at times. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's great to see at the national level. Uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and, yeah. and hope that it keeps going. But, but you know, in Arizona, as you've mentioned, the, the hemp bill uh, was going through soaringly well through mm -hmm. the state legislature, uh, starting in the Senate, having only received, I do believe, two no votes through committees in the Senate and then the floor votes. It then went over to the House, re received a couple more no votes in that whole process through committees and the floor, and then had, with a few tweaks, had to go back to the Senate for a, a final vote. And, and after all of that, only received something like six or seven no votes throughout the entire process. Right, and in the state of Arizona, to get two parties to actually agree with one another on one major issue mm -hmm. like that is a staggering success. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about how divided the House is, especially. It becomes more and more entrenched by the year. I know legislators that were in the Arizona government probably five to ten years ago, and they can't even imagine how what they thought was an entrenched, divided issue, partisan situation yeah. was nothing compared to how it is now. Right. Uh, and so, for, yes, what you're saying is absolutely correct. Getting something through that easily and sent on to the governor that is, at best, a hot-button issue for a lot of people. But uh, it's hemp. I well, mean, you know... But and, it's, it's, it's still the same plant as... It's still, still cannabis. It's still the same plant, even though you can't smoke it, even though it doesn't have the effects that 
marijuana as it yeah, you try is to sold him. has. Um, it's <laughs> and you still, get a headache. <laughs> it, it's, it's still seen by some people as the uh, evil plant that is that carryover from the 60s era where simple lies like saying that a woman would become infertile after using marijuana once, those types of sentiments still are being echo echoed at the legislature yeah. by some. Well, you know, it's marketing 101. If you repeat a lie enough, it becomes the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but still, hemp. And with overwhelming support in the House and Senate of Arizona, to be vetoed at this juncture by, you know, one person with that much power over, you know, that's opposing so many advocates of that bill. Mm -hmm. I was just stunned, honestly. I, on I honestly was stunned, too. I know that Governor Ducey has spoken out many times about how he wanted to, in the last election, be the only governor nationwide that defeated a legalization effort in his state. He was. Yeah. The only state that put legal recreational adult use up and didn't pass was Arizona in this last election. And Governor Ducey and his cohorts that spent many millions of dollars in the last few weeks of the election were, were a large reason for the failure in Arizona. Uh, it's hard to combat that much money flowing in when people are receiving their early ballots. Right. And on 420 in Atlanta, uh, Governor Ducey spoke, and it was funny that it was on 420, but I think it was no mistake, spoke out and said that he and his friends had a very properly executed plan that worked out very well to stop marijuana from becoming a legal substance in Arizona for recreational use. He's no dummy, but he does really dislike this industry. And hemp being as closely tied simply because it's the same plant is really the only reason that any of us can think of that he would decide to veto after all of that support through the legislature. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is astonishing. And, but you know, what's, what's interesting to me is that with the majority of people really advocating for at the very least medical use and a lot of people starting to get on board with the hemp movement knowing how it, it could really help the state of Arizona economically speaking, I mean, even, even Economic conservatives, you know, fiscal conservatives, would, would argue that hemp could really make a huge difference in our state. And even with that in mind, you know, I, I can't help but think that he's really erring on the wrong side of history and that, you know, voters who, who respect um, hemp and respect cannabis as a medicine and want the liberty to choose their own medicine that they're going to go to the ballot box when he's up for re-election and say, you know, uh, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Let's find somebody else who will advocate on our behalf. Well, we'll see uh, in this upcoming election. Uh, Governor Ducey is up for re-election mm -hmm. in 2018. It's a pretty empty ballot other than him. Uh, I do know that the industry, including uh, us, we are looking at what, if anything, should be run by the industry in 2018 to try and either, again, seek full recreational legal adult use uh, or expand the program. And, and so in 2018, if there's a cannabis issue on the ballot and it brings out a lot of cannabis voters, uh, Governor Ducey might have a hard time. Yeah. I, I would I would love to see the cannabis industry being a reason that Governor Ducey doesn't sail through this election as easily after he's shown such absolute disgust toward this industry. Yeah, contempt. And, yeah, contempt. And, 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 yeah. And, and after the loss of 205, it would be a great uh, vindication for the industry. Right. At a, uh, you know, two years later. You know, I, I can't help but feel that 205 failed 
um, not because there weren't a majority of people in Arizona who believe that marijuana is harmless and probably safer than alcohol and, of course, safer than, than the pharmaceuticals produced in the state. <laughs> but um, I can't help but feel as though 205 might have passed had it not had so much opposition from, from the, the, because there were several bills initially and then there were two that were competing against one another and one of them was a lot more liberal than 205 obviously and I think that the advocates of that bill were, were disappointed at how conservative 205 was by comparison and I think a lot of them just didn't show up to vote for 205. Yeah, I mean, like with any big industry, you're going to have people that are on the more, as you said, kind of liberal or progressive portion of the industry, and, and then there's kind of going to be the centrist uh, position. Mm -hmm. uh, for business interests, 205 was much more aligned with what probably the center of the industry wanted. Uh, it went through a few changes and things got cut and things got added. But 205 in its form that went to the ballot was kind of the middle view. Um, but that meant that a large portion of the people in the industry, even though it might not include everything they wanted, could get behind it because it probably included a few things that they did like. Mm -hmm. The more progressive portion uh, of the industry has been working to get something on the ballot that reflects their viewpoint every single time. But the, the, the issue there is that without enough money to be able to pay signature gatherers to get something on the ballot, mm -hmm. uh, they just simply haven't been able to get anything on the ballot yet that, that really reflects that, that more progressive viewpoint. Right. Um, nothing has ever made it to the ballot that hasn't employed some form of paid signature gathering. Right. So, so it's in Arizona, it's really that you need to use somebody other than just volunteers. Right. So yeah, there is a split there in, in the way that people think. And, and really all you can do is try and craft something that's the best form of something that goes to the ballot that appeases the most people in the industry. Right, yeah. So, so going forward, that's what we intend to do is to try and find something that, that isn't so divisive that can really be something that people can get behind. Right. And also, I think, too, that the messaging on the other campaign was a little bit more free the weed. Um, Absolutely. If, if you look at it that way and you consider that, you know, Arizona is a pretty conservative state and one of the biggest fears of passing a law like this is the stigma attached to it, the cultural stigma mm -hmm. attached to it. So, you know, people who are afraid of making that leap. Yeah might have considered that. And I think it's just so important for everybody, regardless of whether they have a very progressive view of cannabis or a more conservative view like, um, you know, like the crafters of 205. You know, I think the most important thing for people to realize is that you have to put a, um, you have to put a very sort of professional face on this industry in order to get a conservative state like Arizona to Absolutely. embrace it, you know? Yeah, you're, uh, you're seeing me one of the few days I don't wear a suit uh, because we're <laughs> yeah. on the radio. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I go down to the legislature every day and I'm wearing a suit and I tell people that are citizen lobbyists who are going down to represent themselves that they should show up in the business attire that legislators are used to seeing and mm -hmm. expecting and, and really being a great polished face for this industry yeah. that they need to know their facts. They need to know why they're there and what they're talking about because having people showing up either dressed in cannabis attire, you know, t-shirts and things like that, or just showing up and, and wanting to speak to a legislator, but really not knowing the business aspects of the industry and things like that. Can, can diminish our our effectiveness. At yeah, the and credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so that's been a huge push. Uh, on our AMAPAC website, we have a section that talks about how to become a great citizen lobbyist, for example. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all the tricks of the trade, all of the reasons that legislators respond well to certain things and not well to other things. Yeah. Uh, so anybody out there that's listening and wants to 
be a citizen lobbyist, please feel free to, to go look that up. Contact me, and I'm happy to bring people down to the legislature and, and show uh, what the true face of the industry is. Yeah. And, and, you know, let people tell their personal stories of success, mm -hmm. their personal stories of how cannabis has weaned them off of five or six cancer medications, given them longer lifespans than the, say, six months they were given to live. Things like that are absolutely so powerful. They really are. You know what? I, I've never become jaded to those stories because, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have um, been brought to tears by a guest, someone here telling me their personal story. I can't tell you how many, how many um, experiences I've had, too, dealing with people that I know, um, family members, close family members, who have had great success with cannabis where pharmaceuticals have failed and nearly killed them. Yeah, you know, absolutely. so it it's an emotional issue for so many who are on the advocacy side, but to touch the lives of people who have opposed marijuana for so long is a very powerful tool, really. Yeah, it is. And again, you know, I can go down every day to the legislature and be a lobbyist speaking the the facts about the money we're bringing to the bottom line of Arizona. You know, I get to go in as a lobbyist and say, I'm not trying to take money out of the general fund. We're giving money to the general fund. Right. You're welcome. So, you know, <laughs> help us out a little bit. But, um, you know, I can, I can give all of the economic factors, all of the business factors, all of the reasons that hemp is amazing and why it's being supported by the cotton growers. Mm -hmm. because they understand that it's such a great product that they can even rotate in with their, their cotton crops. Oh, yeah, and it'll remediate the soil Absolutely. that the cotton crop... BT Less water, cotton. recondition the soil, all of those things. And right. I, can, I can tell that to legislators, but there's something absolutely more when a cannabis consumer tells their story. Yeah, or their a personal, mom. Yeah, absolutely. So And brings the child who is now yeah. no longer yeah. beating a head against the wall... Right. To tell the story yeah yeah it's it's really it's really something and you know god bless you for doing it <laughs> well, i tell you, you somebody's got to do it some and, days you know. are better than others but no it's it's great and i i absolutely believe in the product i'm a you know consumer i have my card and i totally and fully understand where people come from and that's why i can give my impassioned please to legislators and I can and go and fight, keep doing this and fight for the industry every day. So. Yeah. How, how often do you, in your capacity as a lobbyist, actually um, have the opportunity to tell the story of what it is that you're doing to media, such as the Arizona Republic? And before you answer, there's a reason I'm asking this. Before the election last year, mm -hmm. um, I was sort of monitoring the stories that were coming out of the Arizona Republic. And for every 10 stories that, that put a, a negative point of view on legalization, um, we would get one story covered that actually maybe mentioned one or two positive points. And the same goes for like the uh, editorials, the op-eds. You know, they would rerun op-eds that, you know, two, three, four times by Sheila Polk and mm. you know the rest of that right. clan that were really trying to oppose this bill, whereas maybe one or two op-eds made it in that were in favor of. So do you, do you see any changes there? Um, Slowly but surely, that's, that's the answer I'll give for that. Uh, yes, we, we have uh, a great uh, marketing and media team that we work with, Strategies 360. We have friends down at the Arizona Republic, and we're giving them, constantly giving them information on things that are going on at the legislature or just in the cannabis industry. Right. We're slowly kind of grinding down the, the wall there, and, and we're seeing some more responses when we put in op-eds or, or any information given to them, um, as you would... I'm sure no and guess the Phoenix New Times is much more receptive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they like the industry quite a bit more, and, and we have uh, done some great things with them in the past. 
but really our focus is on getting to those big media sources that, like you've said, have had their wall up against the positive media attention that this industry yeah. deserves. So we're getting there. It's it's a daily battle, but we're getting there. It is so. a battle. It is a it is a battle, and it's the war on drugs. The the battle. Yep. I mean, how how much do you think that um, the war on drugs in general um, is bad for Arizona? Well, it's a very outdated model. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the things that encompass the war on drugs, the amount of money we spend on fighting insurgencies in Central and South America to try and curb the drugs that are being brought in from there, uh, while at the same time it's been shown that the U.S. spends money supplying arms to some of the other, you know, other military and paramilitary forces in those countries, and and basically helping the drugs continue. Yeah. Um, that has been going on for far too long. But luckily, in the cannabis industry, especially in Arizona, where we can now grow it legally here and supply it legally within Arizona, what we're trying to do in the system that exists in the legal framework is to stamp out the cartels that have been bringing marijuana in across the our southern border for mm -hmm. for decades we're trying to smother them by taking away the one lifeblood that they need and that's the cash flow right if there isn't money for the cartels they'll disappear from arizona mm -hmm. and and this industry being legal and being uh, available for patients is really cutting off and strangling those those monetary sources yeah so the, the war on drugs can continue on in those other facets, but I think our new war on drugs is creating a legal economy for, for, for cannabis in Arizona. Right. And, and that's how we have to keep going. But, um, you know, in other parts of the war on drugs, like with the D.A.R.E. program, uh, having throughout time had cannabis on as a gateway drug, uh, that has now been taken out of that program. It's mm -hmm. now been delisted as a gateway drug by the D.A.R.E. program. That's, that's huge. That's actually huge progress, yeah. It's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. And so things like that are starting to come around. So the war on drugs, again, you know, chipping away at the, the wall however we can is, yeah. is what we've got to do. And, and things like uh, proper education for our students, um, which is one of the things that I've been pushing last year and this year for uh, for legislation um, creating a good framework for people teaching students that cannabis it can be used by people with cards legally but that it shouldn't be messed around with it shouldn't be used as a child if you aren't one of those children that has to use it to curb their medical issues and uh, you know teach safe and proper understanding of things like edibles and why uh, medicated edible is not the same as a gummy bear. Yeah. That, so those, those things are important. Right. Frankly, I think that we need education uh, for the legally prescribed drugs for the same Absolutely. You know, reason. And um, I wonder, I haven't looked recently, but I wonder if D.A.R.E. has put opiates as a gateway because they indeed are a gateway to heroin use and abuse of other um, street-laced drugs, Absolutely. you know. I, I can't actually tell you the answer for that. I will go and look at the listings yeah, and see. I'm because now, now I'm too. curious, but um, <laughs> I do know that I uh, went up to Prescott this week um, to monitor what was being done at a Mat Force event, so variety of different Arizona uh, police agencies meeting together to discuss uh, drugs and Explain alcohol. Explain to our view, our listeners out outside of Arizona what Mat Force stands for. Oh, and now I'm blanking, but it's it's basically a drug coalition or a coalition of, of police of officials that that combat drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah. Um, and police and parents, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, so at the Mat Force event, uh, one statement that caught my ear 
was that uh, cannabis, they, they said marijuana, but cannabis uh, is not the gateway drug. It's not the reason that people have gone to heroin in Arizona. The extremely high increase in heroin use over the last few years in Arizona was said by a police officer that uh, the gateway drug is simply prescription opiates. It's not marijuana. It's nothing else. It's prescription opiates that then aren't strong enough for people, and then they, they switch to heroin because they can start getting heroin in increasingly large and increasingly potent uh, doses. Yeah. I read a story recently, and actually I think we posted something on the website about it, um, the, that you're beginning to find um, street marijuana laced with fentanyl, which mm -hmm. is basically nearly the same as giving someone a joint laced with um, laced with heroin. And right. it's creating a new level of addiction that, is, that, you know, those who are opposed to marijuana are saying, see? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, okay, you can say that that's absolutely a bad thing, and I agree, but it's not the cannabis that's right. in that joint or, you know, in the bowl that they're smoking. It's the fentanyl. It's the opioid that has been laced. It's and that, and that's the, the schedule three drug that's killing people. Right, not the schedule one plant <laughs> Marijuana that, that's that is helping helping many people throughout this nation and around the world. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I absolutely when when you're mixing it with other drugs, it can be an absolutely huge problem. But yeah, I don't see that as anything that should detract from the advocacy of cannabis as a as a medical use. And, uh, you know, even for those states where it's legally used recreationally, that it shouldn't detract from those efforts either. Right, right. Yeah, I, wow. Um, we've covered a lot of ground here today, <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> and it's gone by really quickly. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, last thoughts about... Um, what, what would you want the biggest takeaway for people in Arizona who are listening, but also, you know, people from other states, from your perspective? What's the big takeaway for you? Uh, the big takeaway in the year that we have been at the Arizona legislature is that we've got an uphill battle at all times, not just with persuading people who are against the industry, but also with, you know, fighting the many, many millions, billions, if you're looking more uh, grandly, uh, of, of money that are being funneled into, against this industry. But um, the big thing is the fight isn't over. We'll keep coming back, and we're going to expand this industry and make it the best we can in Arizona, and that our other states out there should start looking to our northern neighbors about how they have legalized recreation or how they are legalizing recreational marijuana and, and see where that goes from there. Yeah, and, and also um, we do have listeners in states that haven't yet passed even medical marijuana laws and the same would really go for them. Yeah, well, try and get it on the ballot like we did and yeah, hopefully, you'll get, hopefully you'll get to medical marijuana. And call, call their representatives. Absolutely, yeah. And, and call your representatives in the U.S. Congress too. And, and you be know. great representatives of the industry when you talk to anybody. Yeah. Taylor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, um, it's... If, if I could do a plug, amapac.com is our website. Yes. We would love to have people go there and check us Ab out. Absolutely. So, yeah. Thank okay. you very much. Oh, thank you. And um, oh, another show has come to a close. This is uh, the week of Independence Day coming up. Um, and let's remember that our government was created by the people and for the people. And we have a right to demand that our representatives serve the will of the majority of Americans who believe marijuana does not belong in Schedule 1. We urge you to call your senators and urge them to pass the Carers Act so that we can once again claim the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness that cannabis can bring. And if you live in Arizona, call your reps and call the governor as well while you're at it. They work for us and they need to start representing our interests. And um, 
please do look up amapac.com if you'd like to get involved in this fight to make uh, cannabis uh, you know, more accessible to everyone in Arizona and um, also to the Americans that want freedom to choose our own medicine without threat of prosecution. So again, I'd like to personally thank my guest, Taylor Swick, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you want to learn more about Amapac and the work he's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click broadcast to find today's episode, and I will post his bio and information about Amapac there. We have a lot of people to thank today, our engineer Craig and the team here at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine, Eric Goodall for a theme song, Evergreen, and Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update. He'll be back again with another edition next week. I'd also like to express gratitude for our radio sponsors, HempMeds.com and HealthCara. We could not be doing this without you. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening around the nation on XRQK Radio Network and our partner online stations. Tune in again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, stay safe, stay informed. Share what you've learned and have a happy 4th of July. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always where I feel the blues blue You're busy running around from work to kids to evening events. Healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra for only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids, by the way. You can eliminate doctor office visits with 24-7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.